Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. As Mary Beth said in the call to worship this morning, Palm Sunday is the day in the church calendar when we mark the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem for the last week of his life. It was an event of great insight and an event of great misunderstanding. Insight, because he really is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the long-awaited ruler of Israel, the fulfillment of God's promises. That's who Jesus is. So it was a day of great insight, but it was also a day of great misunderstanding. The people thought and they hoped and they had been praying that that Messiah would come with all of his military might and he'd, he would take his throne by force and, and he would cast down all of the Roman troops that had invaded the country. But that's not quite how it turned out, is it? His entry into the city was much less dramatic and much less compelling than they had thought or hoped for. And so Palm Sunday becomes this day of insight and a day of misunderstanding. The insight led to joy. Hosanna, Hosanna. The misunderstanding led to the crucifixion. And Jesus saw it all coming. None of this took him by by surprise. He was not startled or shocked by any of it. He knew what was about to happen. The crowds were crying out in verse 38, Hosanna, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were shouting his praises. And in the very next verse, it says, in in verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So he could see what was happening. He could sense what was afoot. He knew what was about to happen. The Pharisees were about to, to get the upper hand. The people... We're about to do a flip-flop. Human nature hasn't changed in 2,000 years. They're about to switch their allegiance and follow their religious leaders. And Jesus would be rejected and crucified. They would actually reject Jesus. To us, that seems unfathomable. Reject Jesus? What's the matter with you? What's up with that? I mean, you're rejecting Jesus? One day they're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the next day they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. It's interesting how Jesus anticipates this and how he responds to all of it. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near... And saw the city. He wept over it. He wept over it. When he drew near and saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. Have you ever wondered what those tears were about? Were they tears of frustration? Frustration? 
Were they tears of, of remorse? Were they tears of regret? Were they tears of frustration? I think they were tears of mercy. I really do. I think they were tears of, of mercy. As he looked at the city and, and knew what was about to transpire, tears of mercy. And so as we examine this passage this morning on this Palm Sunday and the story behind it, we get to come here and admire the merciful sovereignty of Jesus in the midst of this amazing story of Palm Sunday. We get to come and admire the merciful sovereignty of Jesus. What makes Jesus so admirable, so marvelous, so different than all other persons, what really sets him apart as unparalleled and unequaled is this unusual combination of these qualities, sovereignty and mercy. He's both sovereign and merciful. They don't really fit together in the natural realm. You know, sovereigns, people with all power, aren't often merciful. And so we can imagine majestic, all-powerful sovereignty, right? That's, we get a picture of that. We can also imagine tender-hearted, compassionate mercy. We can imagine that. But to think about these two things coming together, being blended together, who do you know, who do you know who combines sovereignty and mercy together in one person? Only Jesus, right? Only Jesus, He combines it in perfect proportion, merciful sovereignty and sovereign mercy. Only Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. So we're going to look at three statements this morning that point us to his sovereignty, first of all. And there's a statement about mighty works in verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, so he's coming into the city, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the mighty works that they had seen. They were praising God. They were praising Jesus for the mighty works that he had done in the time that they had known him. He'd made a name for himself as a miracle worker. And they were thinking about that as he rode the colt down the road into the city. The whole multitude rejoiced uh, over him because of the great things, the mighty works that he had accomplished. He had healed Leprosy with a touch, remember? He'd made the blind to see and the deaf hear and the lame walk. He'd commanded the unclean spirits and they obeyed him. He'd stilled the storms and walked on the water and he turned five loaves and and two fish into a meal for thousands. (laughs) He's a worker of miracles. These are the works of of an all-powerful, mighty, sovereign king. Secondly, there's a statement in the text about about a never-ending kingdom. Verse 38, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus was a king. Jesus is a king. But, But he's not just any king. He's not just any king who's been crowned by some fickle population. No, sir, he's a king who was sent and appointed by God Almighty himself. And perhaps in that moment, as Jesus was riding down the Mount of Olives and and, and into the city, they were remembering some of the prophecies 
of the Old Testament. They were remembering what had been said about this Messiah, Messiah, Mershiach, who was coming, the Messiah. They were thinking about him, and maybe they thought about Isaiah 9-7, which says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. You see, it's a, it's a forever kingdom. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and, what's the next word? Forever. You see? This is a never-ending kingdom that Isaiah is prophesying about, and it's, it's happening. Here it is. It's unfolding. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, the text says. So, so here we're, we're talking about a, a universal, never-ending, permanent, non-stop kingdom backed by the zeal and passion and fervor of Almighty God Himself. And, and you know what? We're, we're part of that kingdom. That's the king we serve. That's the God we have. And our kingdom, the, our, the kingdom that we're part of, will never, ever, 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 ever end. It lasts forever. Here's the king of the universe. Blessed is the king. They didn't even know what they were saying. Blessed is the king. He really is the king. He's the forever king. Who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and today, on this otherwise sleepy, sunny, but cold Palm Sunday, we get to come to this place, this redeemed banquet hall, where countless people have drunk themselves silly, we get to come in this place and lift up the name of Jesus and admire the merciful sovereignty of God. Hallelujah! What a privilege it is. So he rode into Jerusalem that day. They had no idea what was about to unfold. They were on that side of the cross. We're on this side of the cross. And we know the storyline. So it's kind of easy for us to point back and say, those guys, you're so dumb. What's the matter with them? They didn't, well, they didn't have the whole story. We got the whole story. So we have really no excuse. And I was thinking this morning as we were singing those great songs of, of praise, thank you, Mary Beth, the whole team did a great job this morning in leading us in worship. And I got thinking about the conversation that the guys' uh, study had the previous Wednesday, and we talked about how, how often, as particularly guys, we're, we're reluctant about, right, Joe? We're reluctant about, you know, really singing out and praising God and, and just going reckless, recklessly after God in worship and praise. And I thought about that this morning, and I just, it choked me up. I thought, man, we, we, want to, we, we want the gathering to be a church that is given to praise and worship. Amen? And we want the gathering to be a place that's given to passionate prayer, right? And we want the gathering to be a place where, where there's strong teaching right from the Bible, without apology and without compromise. Amen? That's what we want. And, we, and the only way we can do that is if we follow the king. We follow our own devices. We're going to be, we're going to be done next week. As long as we follow the king and, and stay in his tracks, and follow in his steps, we'll be all right. He'll look after us. So there's this statement about praising Jesus in verses 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> he answered them, I'm telling you, boys, if these were silent, 
the very stones would cry out. <laughs> the stones would cry out? Are you serious? Well, Jesus Christ will be praised. The whole design of the universe is that Jesus Christ be exalted. The whole design of the universe is that Jesus Christ be praised. The whole design of the universe is that Jesus Christ be glorified. And if people aren't going to do it, he's going to make sure that his creation does. He's sovereign. He will get what he wants. And he wants praise. So why not give it to him? Let's give it to him willingly. Offer it to him. If we refuse to praise him, the rocks will get the joy. So let's praise him. This morning, as we watch this graceful Savior riding a colt into the streets of Jerusalem, we've come to admire the merciful sovereignty of God. But we also get to admire the matchless mercy of Jesus Christ. Remember, sovereignty and mercy blended together in perfect proportion in the person of Jesus Christ. Luke 19, 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, Jesus said. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. He's personifying the city of Jerusalem. You and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you. And that actually happened to the city of Jerusalem in AD 70. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. And what I need you to see this morning, folks, is that this this utterly sovereign, all-powerful, entirely majestic, supreme Savior weeps. I need you to see that. I need you to see that Jesus is weeping over the city. He's weeping over the lostness and the the hard-heartedness of the people that he loved. He's weeping over these people. When was the last time you wept over the lostness of the people in your family? When was the last time you you wept over the hard-heartedness of the people you work with? Or the people you go to school with? Or the people who live beside you or behind you or across the street? When was the last time you wept? As we read the text this morning, we admire the the matchless mercy of Jesus. Now, we admire sovereignty more when it's merciful sovereignty, right? And we admire mercy more when it's sovereign mercy. And only in Jesus do we find that perfect blend. Merciful sovereignty and sovereign mercy. And there are at least three ways that Jesus is merciful in this passage, Luke 19. And we're going to just draw them right out of the text, right out of the text, And I'm praying now, even now as I preach, that we will become more and more like the Jesus that's described in this passage. In the first place, his mercy was tenderly moved. Lord Jesus, may our mercy be tenderly moved this morning as well. See, he feels the sorrow of the situation. Now, that doesn't mean that when he wept, he was any less God than he was before. 
people, some authors have suggested that in that moment, you know, his humanity overtook his deity and he wept like a baby because that's what people do. And, you know, uh, for heaven's sake, don't read into the text what isn't there. It, it just means that Jesus is more emotionally complex than we think he is or than we'd like to think he is. But he's really feeling the sorrow of the situation here. Do you, you, you see that? He's feeling the sorrow. He's feeling the pain of the people that he loves. He loves the people in the city of Jerusalem. He, he's, he's drawn, again, his heart is drawn to them. No doubt there's a deep inner peace. He, he knows that God, his Father, is sovereign. So there's a deep sense of peace in, and, and trust in the wise purposes of God, even as he rides into the city. But that doesn't mean you can't cry. There's so much pain and so much agony in the world. Have you noticed? You don't even have to open the newspaper. You don't even have to... You just have to look out the window. It's there. So much suffering, so much agony, so much affliction, so much trouble. We should pray that God would tenderly move us all. That our hearts would be, would be torn. Friday night at Night to Shine, I walked up to one of the buddies whose, whose guest was out on the floor dancing the night away. She had tears in her eyes. I said, is everything okay? She said, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just so broken over the, the disabilities that so many of our guests have. I sort of know what you mean. I sort of know. She was moved with compassion and mercy in her spirit. She was moved by that. Oh, that God would move us. That we would be people of mercy who are tenderly moved by the needs around us. Jesus felt enough compassion for the people of Jerusalem to weep. Perhaps we should repent of our callousness. Repent of our insensitivity. Repent of our hard-heartedness toward people in need. Ask God to give us a heart that's tenderly moved. Secondly, his mercy was self-denying mercy. This text is, is part of the larger story of Jesus moving intentionally toward suffering and death. Uh, Jesus is entering Jerusalem to die. Not by fate, not by accident, but on purpose. He's moving there intentionally. He's going there intentionally to give up his life. He said so in Luke chapter 18. Have a look at this. This, this. this passage comes before the one that we're reading now. We're in Luke 19. This is Luke 18, 31. Verse 31, where, where Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Everything. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, which they did, insult him, which they did, and spit on him, which they did. 
They will flog him and kill him. That's Jesus talking about himself. That's a picture of self-denial. In my mind, Jesus saw the need. He saw the sin of the world. He saw the brokenness all around him. He saw the misery of hell, and he moved into it. He moved toward it. He did not back away from it. This is the meaning of self-denial. So when we move with Jesus, when we walk with Jesus, we move toward need too, whatever it costs us. We deny ourselves, and we deny ourselves the comforts and securities and and the ease of avoiding other people's pain. Instead, we embrace it. Jesus' tears were not just tears of emotion. They were the tears of a man who was on the way to the cross to do what only Jesus could do to rescue his people. Do you, do you intentionally move toward people who are suffering? Do you intentionally move toward people in need? Do you purposely step, go out of your way to help people? Or do you turn your back and run the other way? It, it, it is so much easier just to walk away, right? Because helping people in need... Whatever the need might be, a broken relationship, financial difficulty, um, mental health issues, an unwanted pregnancy, you name it. It's so much easier to just turn around and walk the other way and pretend that you didn't see it. Isn't that right? It's easier. But Jesus never did that. He got on his colt. And rode into all the trouble of life. Your trouble. My pain. Your suffering. The broken relationships in your life. The difficult moments. He, he, he rode into the sphere of your depression. He found you when you were struggling with the diagnosis of disability in your children. He's right there. And he's right there again this morning. Because he is merciful. His mercy is tenderly moved. His mercy is self-denying. And thirdly, from this passage, we see that his mercy was effective. In other words, Jesus always intended to help Mercy is, is helpful. It's, there's a practical side to mercy that can't be denied. His mercy was effective because it was actively working on behalf of the people that he loved. That's what mercy does. You know, if you see somebody who, who has a gift of mercy, they don't just stay at home all day. They don't just look after themselves. They, they're, they're out there doing something in the community. They're loving on people and helping people and finding ways to, to, to get dirty with the dirt of others. I'm not sure that sounds exactly right, but you know what I mean. 
True mercy doesn't just feel, though it does feel. And it doesn't just deny self, although it does deny self. It means something much, much more. It actually does something that helps people. It actually goes out of its way to help people. There's a practical side to mercy that goes way beyond feeling sorry. Jesus died in our place that we might be forgiven and have eternal life with him. And that's how he helped us. That's how he rescued us. (laughs) There's so much to see in this passage and so much to learn from the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I thought, oh no, Easter's coming. Another Palm Sunday. Another story about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. What new can we possibly say after 35 years of preaching on Palm Sunday? Well, this, this is what we can say. We have come to admire the merciful sovereignty of God. And we have come this morning to admire the sovereign or the mighty mercy of Jesus. And the two are blended so perfectly, so beautifully together. Only Jesus combines in perfect proportion merciful sovereignty and sovereign mercy. And I just think, It's more than amazing, isn't it? More than wonderful. More than miraculous could ever be. Thank you, Sandy Patty. She went on to sing in that song, I I stand amazed when I think that the king of glory should come to dwell within the heart of man. I marvel just to know he really loves me when I think of who he is. And who I am. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We sit in amazement this morning, don't we? Of this amazing Savior, Jesus. I love him. I love Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my king. I can't wait to see him. Would you pray with me?